Good morning, everyone. We are here, it sounds like. sounds like we're, we're coming through. Um, the clock is wrong, so it threw me off. I was like, whoa, we went super long. Um, so we'll have to change that. Well, praise God. It's still uh, good morning, everyone, um, uh, for just uh, another five minutes or so. So that's great. Well, praise God. Um, it's Communion Sunday. I love Communion Sunday. Um, I love many things about the fact that we can be here and we can join one another and join our hearts together, our voices together, and our um, love for one another and for our God and King, that we can uh, enjoy His many, many uh, freedoms and mercies that He has uh, given and granted to us so graciously, um, especially in this time of, uh, of tumult and so much uh, corrosion that's out there. It's, uh, it's corrosive, the, the atmosphere around us, the things that are on the media and all these things, and um, people are at discord with one another, and, and there's uh, just so many things that are going on, and it's hard to, hard to keep track of everything that is going on with, uh, in the world, and, uh, which is a better, uh, a good reason for us to be focused on the things of God instead, and keep our minds focused on those things. They will keep us at peace. They will keep us at, at, in our hope. And uh, if we keep our mind set on Him, um, I love that uh, um, I finally, after all these years, learned and memorized uh, Philippians 4, uh, where he talks about how to not be anxious and it goes on further. And it tells us the, the great things to be focused on when, when Paul says, finally, brethren. Um, he, he's making a point that that, uh, and I, I remembered it as a simple word that I made up, or two words. And so in the, the New American Standard, the way it's, uh, it's uh, uh, written out, it's a uh, thripple grip. Thripple grip. You may have heard me mention that before. And it says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, um, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, um, Whatever is of good report, um, oh, excuse me, whatever is pure, um, whatever is lovely, if there's anything of good report, if there's anything uh, worthy of praise, think on these things. And it's, it's amazing when we do, when we focus our minds with all the stuff that's going on, um, it is one of the things that we need to be focused on. This will give us the, the peace and the strength. Um, you know, this last week, being able to uh, just meet with different people in different places and just be able to give, you know, as, as Paul says, let your, let your uh, uh, speech be um, sprinkled with salt so that everywhere that you go, people get some sense of hope and they'll, they'll get some sense of, hey, these, these people are different. They're, they're Jesus freaks. They're different than, than we are. There's something about them. And, and we need to be that way. We need to be the light in the darkness. Um, we are the, the hope of Jesus to someone, and, and you can be that. And in this time, and it's because of the fact of the great emancipator. In our history, we've heard of Abraham Lincoln, our president, being spoken of as the great emancipator. Um, but he's not the original emancipator. He's not. And I want to focus today as we're, we're uh, going to um, um, enjoy and remember and commemorate, and we're going to participate in communion, um, I want to remember the great uh, and, uh, emancipator, the true great emancipator. And I want to do it by beginning with a, uh, a story. Maybe you've heard of it, and it had to do with Abraham Lincoln, and then it, again, it doesn't have to do with Abraham Lincoln. So if you go and, and you see this, you've, maybe you've heard this story, but Abraham Lincoln was, of course, um, he was used by God to help um, America shed itself of the, of the blot of uh, chattel slavery. And that was a good thing. It really was. Um, the early founding fathers, they really didn't like the idea of slavery, but that's what they were born into. It was just like, right now we're in a culture of death, right? You're born in this culture of death, and you, it's just repeated so often and so just off the cuff and without any, giving it any thought in this secular um, society that has been developed over time. That's not what this country was originally 
founded upon. As we are going through history, we're finding that. And it seems like you just slowly, it never goes, very seldom goes to the right, to, the, to what God has, has established already. It always seems to drift to the left, to the left, and even further to the left. And we're in a, and we're in a world of chaos right now. We're in a culture of death that, that surrounds us. Um, and it's not just the death of life. That in and of itself is heinous enough. But it's the death of light. It's an embracing of the darkness. In fact, it's not just embracing the darkness. It's celebrating the darkness. And you must celebrate it, see? And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. You're the great evil in society because you don't want to embrace the darkness and you don't want to celebrate the darkness with us. You don't want to redefine everything that God has already defined. Um, and unfortunately, in our public schools, children have been brainwashed with all this propaganda and, and these things. And unfortunately, we know what Jesus has said about those who cause these little ones to stumble. Something that would be better for them. And they don't know it. And we need to be out there sounding the alarm. Hey, do you not know that Jesus said this? It would be better if somebody tied a millstone to your neck and threw you in the ocean? That would be better for you than what's coming. We're the alarm. We're the sounding alarm. We're the, we're the shofar horn, if you will. Sounding the alarm. Letting people know that this is what's coming if you don't turn from it. We're already enslaved. All of us are slaved in one way or another. Jesus said as much. If you sin, that's your, that's your master. You're a slave to sin. And uh, even as those who have been emancipated, sometimes we struggle still. And we re-enslave ourselves. It so easily entangles us, sin says, it says in, in uh, Hebrews. It's don't fall into that sin which so easily entangles. It does. Because it's part of our nature. It's like Paul said, when I do what I don't want to do, it's not me that's doing it, it's my, it's my limbs. It's, it's like within my DNA, I can't get rid of it. It's awful. And so I, like, I love the, the idea that, that we're doing here, in, uh, that we're looking at in, in Isaiah 26. We're still in that feast mode, we're still in that, in that celebration. Um, and Abraham Lincoln had, uh, so, so if you would turn to uh, Isaiah 26, we're going to continue on and try to get as much through this as possible today. But I wanted to focus on mostly the, the great emancipator and the picture that is being drawn here. One of the things that God continually does in His Word from Genesis to Revelation is to make the distinction. He makes a contrast. It's purposed. It's not me making it. It's not me going into the, uh, into the, the, the Word and trying to dig it out and reading into it something that is not there. It's God who clearly makes a distinction between those who are His and those who are not, between those who are not His, that what will happen to them, and those who are His, what will happen to them. He makes this distinction continuously. And this is no different. I've talked about it in, as we've gone through uh, Isaiah 26, and, and uh, it seems like we're kind of stalled there, but we're not. There's just a lot there. And... And the contrasted here is just so black and white, and it's continuous, and it's mixed within this message of, of hope and praise and, and, and this uplifting, and then all of a sudden it brings in back to the focus the wicked and, and the godless and the pagan and the, the one who hates God, the one who will not come to God, and the one who will face that judgment one day. We are the sounding alarm. And he is the great emancipator, and we see that, and we'll, we'll see that more as we go through this. But I wanted to read this story. It's attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but like I was saying, it, it is, but it isn't. You go, you go and check out some things historically, and it seems like there's been a few stories that have been kind of woven together. So it's kind of created this, uh, this tall tale, if you will. Kind of like, how many of you uh, have heard the story of George Washington chopping down the cherry tree? Yeah, it's the same thing. It's a tall tale. There's nowhere in history that actually records that, but it somehow became folklore. And this is not any different. I think this is not actually attributed or attributable to him factually, but it's, it's the idea. And I was reminded of it earlier this week when I was listening to uh, Dr. David Jeremiah early in the morning. And uh, as I was getting ready for work, 
And driving to work, I, I was listening. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard this story in a long time. It's been a minute. And when he shared it, I, as soon as he was done, I'm like, as I'm driving, you can imagine me in my truck, I'm like, oh, that'll preach. That story right there will preach. Here's, here's the story that's attributed, but it's really not attributable to him. But it is folklore. And I wanted to make that clear because I've heard, I've heard um, some pastors tell this story before as if it was historical fact. And I always want to check. I, I want to check those sources because I don't want to be wrong and give you guys the wrong idea. So Abraham Lincoln, this is, this is um, um, the, the, the tall tale as it goes. Abraham Lincoln went to a slave auction one day and was appalled at what he saw. He was drawn to a young woman on the auction block. The bidding began, and Lincoln bid until he purchased her. And some of the other stories and the, the, the other uh, um, uh, telling of this story that I've heard was he bid a dollar more until he won. And so he goes and he bids a dollar more and a dollar more and here's the price and there's the price and that's a dollar more and a dollar more. And then um, he, he bid until he purchased her, no matter the cost. And after he paid the auctioneer, he walked over to the woman, to the slave woman, and said, you're free. Those are awesome words to hear, you're free. Free? What is that supposed to mean? Said the slave girl. She asked. It means you're free, Lincoln answered. Completely free. Well, does it mean I can do whatever I want to do? Yes, he said. Free to do whatever you want to do. Free to say whatever I want to say? Yes, free to say whatever you want to say. Does freedom mean asking with hope and hesitation that I can go wherever I want to go? It means exactly that. You can go wherever you want to go, said Abraham Lincoln. With tears of joy and gratitude welling up in her eyes, she said then, then I'll think I'll go with you. This story illustrates what God did for us. It's exactly what He did. He didn't wait for us to become non-slaves. He didn't wait for us to go clean up ourselves. He didn't wait on us. He stepped in and purchased us. As the Bible says, we love Him because He first loved us. And he's the focus. God has always been the focus in Scripture. He is the one who should be focused on. He should be the point of the message of every message. We're just secondary or third. But God should always be the centrality of what we say here, and what we preach here, what we believe here. This story does illustrate what God did for us. He stepped in and he purchased us while we were slaves. While we were sinners, while we we're at our worst. The Bible says, while they were yet sinners, God, Christ died for them. While you're yet sinners. That's not what the world preaches. That's not what false gospels preach. They preach you've got to do stuff in order to get God's approval. That's not what we see here in Scripture, and that's not what this story represents. It's exactly the, the reason why I heard, when I heard this story again, um, I've heard it before, but for some reason it's like, okay, this, is, this, this, this should be the focus of the, of the message, the great emancipator, the true great emancipator. Because those of us who are uh, uh, just uh, mired in sin and, and, in, and uh, in all those... Uh, the, the filth of, of sin and all the things that it brings, all the misery, all, the, all the, the, the grossness, the gross immorality and so on and so forth, the iniquity. 
It all filled us at one point, and while we were in that condition, Christ had already died for us. This is why I said we're the sounding alarm. We're the trumpet. That price has already been paid. That freedom has already been purchased. This final bid has already been done. And it cried out from the cross, Tetelestai, paid in full. That debt has been paid. And I like to ask the question, yes, hallelujah. And I like to ask that question, as it says in, uh, as Paul wrote in Colossians, that the debt was nailed to the cross once for all. It's done. The question is, is your name there? Is your name on that contract? Is your name there? The illustrate does, this story does illustrate what God did for us. We're bought with a price and it was costly. I'm reminded too of a story that was, that's been told and bandied about and I listen to pastors all day long when I'm working on the, ra- on the radio and, and a lot of them use this illustration. And it's really sim- simple. It's, it's, you know, they, they tell of a story that a woman who was upset after hearing one of the pastors preach the gospel and the necessity for for God and how He loves us and the necessity for forgiveness and the necessity for, for being forgiven and redeemed, how we need that. And a woman came and they talk about the love of God and a woman comes to the pastor and, and kind of angrily and upset and, and visibly upset and says, where was God? My question to you, pastor, preacher, where was God? Where was God when my son was taken from me? Where was your God? And the pastor said, I'm so sorry for that. And I'll tell you where God was. God was at the same place when they were nailing his son to the cross. He was in the same place. He was on his throne. He was busy being about God. I don't know what the condition of your son was, but I know that you can be forgiven. And he loves you. You see, even when people come at us with those angry words and they don't understand, and it's really hard to understand, and I can, I can understand that. I can understand how people can wonder, where was God? When I can think of that in my own life, where was God when I saw my dad suffering from cancer, when he was eating him away, when he was left basically just a bag of bones, And he was in misery, he was in pain, and he didn't cry out, he didn't commiserate, he didn't do any of that. He just lived out his life to the end. And we could have all said, where was God? But we knew where he was. He was there with my dad, and my dad was in his presence. He was always looking to God. He was always trusting in God. That's why when we'd come to him and we'd see him, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and the last time I saw him, I no, you just have to ask because you're concerned. You see his condition and you ask, Dad, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And he would always answer the same way, the smile on his face. I'm doing okay, mijo. I'm doing okay. And the strength that he showed was because he was trusting in God and it didn't make sense. How could you be in so much pain? How could you be in so much misery? How could you be under the influence of all that morphine and all that stuff? And look me in the eye and say, I'm okay, mijo. I'm okay. It's because he understood who God is. He understood his father. He trusted his father who was in heaven. He relied heavily upon him. He would lead others to point to Jesus. Trust in him. These are the same things that we see here in Isaiah 26. We see a declaration that is being made because they have been emancipated. It's, I, like I said, it's a, it's a picture of something in the future. Some commentaries believe that it was just speaking of Israel. And some people think it was a mixture of a, a mis, uh, Israel and, and a future um, accumulation of everything that God has promised. I think it's both. And this is what we're seeing. Because Paul does say the true Israel, the true Israelite, is the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Even if we're not genetically Jews. 
He says the true Israelite, the one who is really a Jew, is the one who believes that Jesus is God. Why is that? Well, we spent some time talking about that in Reformation Month. Sola fide. Because the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. And so we're believing what Abraham said and what he taught. We're believing what Abraham believed. Okay, God, I believe you. We're believing when God says you deserve hell. And I am just and holy and righteous. And I will judge the wicked. But we also believe in when he says, and I sent my son to die on that cross for you. That you might live. And not just live, but you might live life everlasting. And not just life everlasting, but you must do so, and you would do so abundantly. I'm giving you life abundant. Not just a little bit. I'm giving you the whole package. You're getting the gold, the platinum package deal. And I paid for it all. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what communion is all about. It's acknowledging that this is what our God has done for us. That He receives us. That He meets us right where we're at. In our sin. And I love that, that, that uh, in the Gospels it is written where Jesus comes into contact with a leper. And in the law, the leper would have to go around and make sure that nobody was within so many feet of him. And it speaks of the loneliness, and it speaks of the solitude, and it speaks of the heartbrokenness of this person because God made us to love one another. He made us to want to hug one another and kiss each other on the neck with a holy kiss. Not that I'm going to do that, but... He gave us that. He made us that way. We have that physical contact. We see it. We see it in babies. When babies are deprived of this, there's something that goes wrong desperately in their minds and in their hearts and in their souls because they're kept from what they need. God made us this way. And there's this leper that, that's, that's been this way for who knows how long. And he's sick and he's infirmed on top of it. And he's losing his body as he goes along. It's a picture, a horrible picture, a terrible picture of sin, how it destroys our lives, how it continually eats at us. And that's all it does. It's like death. It's never satisfied. It wants more. And this leper is in that state. And here comes this Jesus. Here comes this Messiah. Here comes this preacher. Here comes this teacher. And un, despite the law, Jesus comes to him. And he does the unthinkable. He touches him. He holds him. He takes hold of him. And in the law, that would make him unclean. But guess what? It didn't affect him. Are you the leper? Am I the leper? I am. I'm the leper. It's a picture of Jesus touching us in that way. He touches us in spite of the fact that we're leprous. And He holds us. And He heals us. And He frees us from the bonds, the chains of sin, the chains of despondency, the chains of hopelessness, the chains of darkness, the chains of hatred. He frees us. And it's not, uh, he's not just uh, uh, cutting off the chains and leaving the bracelets and the, and the anklets on. He takes those. And he didn't just take those. He took them to the cross and he wore them for us. And he took them upon himself. This is why we commemorate, why we participate, why we look forward and why I love communion. This is not what I was planning on preaching on. This is where God is leading me. The great emancipator, he's the one who sets free. 
And I love the fact that Jesus in, in John chapter 8 says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's a declaration. And notice that what the focus is in all of those things. Like here it is in, in Isaiah 26. God is at the one in the focus. He is the great emancipator is the one who is there in focus. It is God who sets us free. It's not us who sets ourselves free. It's not by works of the law. There shall be no flesh justified by works of the law. The Bible is clear and tells us this. He is the great emancipator. He is the one who sets free from all the bonds of the things of this world. He's the one that we should focus on and look to and search after. And I love what he said about himself being the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. He that takes of this bread will never hunger. You hungry? You spiritually hungry? You don't have to be. You can be full. And oh, my friend, let me tell you, when you commit your life to Christ, it's like somebody was saying earlier, maybe yesterday, or I don't remember when, but you begin to feast on God's Word. And instead of going, ah, I don't get this, I don't understand this, it begins to feed your soul. You begin to... Um, Enjoy the table that is being spoken of in Isaiah 26. You begin to feast on that meal. You begin to see that there's more to life than what we know and understand and what we experience in this life. There's more to it. There's so much more. And Jesus came that we might have life abundant. And that's why we celebrate it. We remember His death. We remember what He did. We remember that our God, our Christ, our King, that He left heaven and that He entered the womb of a woman, a virgin, and that He, the King of the universe, as it says in Philippians and Colossians, all things were made by Him and through Him and for Him. That's the same one who came to take on a tabernacle, a body of flesh like yours and mine, the God incarnate. And yet, He was still 100% deity. He was still 100% human. He was as, as a man as any of, of us are men. And yet, He was deity. He wasn't stained. He wasn't imprisoned. He wasn't enchained. He wasn't, he wasn't encompassed by the thing that gnaws at us. How many of you have things that gnaw at you? Sinful things that you struggle with, that you hate, that you wish that you could just be free of, and, and in a sense you are. In a sense you are. You are free from those things. I had somebody ask me once, because I, I was sharing a little bit of my testimony with them, and, and I shared with them the, you know, um, used to be an alcoholic, and I needed that drink. And when I was saved on November 24th, 1996, I remember three weeks passed by. We're getting into near Christmas time in 1996. And I've come home from church and I'm doing the same kind of thing. You know, TV's on, but I'm sitting in my recliner. But instead of watching TV, I'm not even watching. I've just got this sitting on my lap, being fed, enjoying a meal in the presence of my king. And then I realized something's missing here. Something's awry. Something's not right. Something's missing. There's something off. What is it? And it was the fact that I hadn't touched a drink in three weeks and didn't even, I wasn't even conscious of it. And so this person, as I was sharing that, this person said, well, what do you say to the one who is still struggling with that? And I would say this. Do you believe that you're really free? doesn't mean that you're not saved. I said, but do you believe that you're really free? Do you really believe what Jesus said? Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. You're either really free or you're not. And sometimes it's scary to be free. 
Sometimes we want to be tethered to something. Sometimes we want to be chained to something so that we feel like, okay, okay, things are still, you know, all right. And does, does God sometimes leave those things? Well, it's very possible. Some people have said, well, God sometimes leaves those things so that we'll continually trust in Him and we'll go to Him. But Jesus says we're free. And if we struggle, it's because of us, because of me, because of you. Not because of you, but with your struggles that you struggle with. And me with my struggles that I struggle with. It's because I've forgotten. I've taken my eyes off. And I've not put my mind on the things that are above. And it so easily entangles us, doesn't it? And that's why we celebrate this, to remember He died. And He didn't just die. He came and He lived. And He lived perfectly. He did what no other person could do. He kept the law. In a sense, He earned His place on that cross. Think about that. He earned His place on that cross. He earned the right to die there because He was perfect and He kept the law perfectly. That sounds contradictory. Like, why would somebody want that? Remember the trial. He could have said all kinds of things, but in the presence of Pilate, Pilate was astounded. I have the power to let you go. I have the power to set you free. He was trying to take the place of an emancipator. The only thing that Jesus said was, you have no power except that which is given to you from heaven. Other than that, he didn't say anything. He went to the cross. And if somebody, as uh, I, I don't remember, there's A.W. Pink or A.W. Tozer, one of those guys, one of those writers, said we, he went more readily to the cross than we go to him in prayer, to our shame. He went more readily to the cross to pay for that sin that was yours and mine, that we might live. That's what Communion Sunday is about. It's remembering Him and, and drinking Him in, taking that bread and remembering He is the bread of life. Looking at that juice and that wine and, and realizing His blood is what purifies. His blood, in a sense, runs through my veins his blood is, is that which is His righteousness that covers me, that covers us if we know Him, and only if we know Him, and only if we trust in Him, and only if we believe like Abraham believed, Jesus is enough. That His work is enough. It's like I said a couple of weeks ago, for Christ's sake, if you believe, if you want to believe and you have to believe in works, then believe in the works of Jesus Christ and those alone. And that's it. And trust Him. You're free if you do. It's exactly what the Bible has told us all along. The great emancipator is Jesus Christ. He's the one who sets free. And He doesn't wait for us, thank God. I thank God for that. I can't thank Him enough for that. If He would have waited for me, I would have died. I would die and go to hell before I would turn. But He stepped in. While I was yet a sinner, while I was still in my filth, He stepped in. I paid the price. It's time to come home. Hallelujah. Praise God that He doesn't wait for you. He's not going to wait. He's God. He's the King. He does as He pleases. He does everything in accordance with His will, not mine, not yours. I don't care if your will is free or your agency is free. He doesn't do anything in accordance with your free will or agency. He does it in accordance with His will, with His good will, with His kind intention. And what is His kind intention? He's both just and the justifier. So nobody can accuse those whom he's set free.
Those whom he has set free and emancipated, these are the ones who there is no accusation. Oh, but pastor, you don't, you don't know the secret thing that I... Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who? Are you? Are you going to bring a charge? If it's paid for at the cross, it's been paid for. That has been paid for. And it's been paid in full. Not partially. Not only if you do X, Y, and Z. Praise God. Because I'm still on A, B, and C. No, it's been paid in full. And that's all we have to do is believe that. Trust in that. That the work that he did on the night that he was betrayed, that began, and what he knew he was coming, and readily, as the saying goes, he more readily went to the cross than will go to him in prayer. And that's not just for the believer, that's true of the non believer. That's true of the ones that are questioning. That's true of those who are out there that have never given their life to Christ. You can come to Him. You don't need a religious service. You can give your life to Him wherever you're at. You can surrender yourself. And you come to Him in faith and prayer. And you ask Him to forgive you. Tell Him you believe. Confess that He is Lord and that God has raised Him from the dead. Do so. And I love what the, what the Word tells us. So why I love the Word. It's so rich. He says, and you will be saved. And you know why? Because that's not natural. It's not natural for us to do that. In our natural state, we want to stay as we are. We want to stay exactly the way that we have been all our lives. But the supernatural steps in. And the holy hound of heaven, he begins to come a-knocking. And he begins to work within us to change us, to change our mindset, to change our desires, to change that which is within us. And he's the one who causes us to be born again. We're born from above, not from our own self, not from us doing this or that. It's something that God does. He brings us to life. That story of Lazarus, it's like Jesus saying, Brian, come forth! Chris, come forth! Celia, come forth! Come forth! That's what he does. And he brings us from death to life, life abundant, life exceedingly. He brings us to real life. When I was dead in my trespasses and sin, I thought I had life. When God shed that for me and got rid of it, I began to know what real life is. And it's overwhelming. Like that song we, we sing. It's overwhelming. When we begin to, man, I've been missing this all my life. This is supposed to be boring and, and no fun and none of those things. And that's when life really began. That's when the adventure really began. You want an adventure? You want to be a rebel with a cause? This is it. This is the life. Enter it in with us. Be those we can work together in espionage. We can conspire against the world and the spirit of the age. We can do that in Christ. That's what we're to do. We're to be here, but we're not to be secret agents. We're to be the sounding horn. We're to be like the, um, the big horns on the ships that, that warn other people that there's, other sh that there's a big ship around. That big foghorn. You're coming near land. You're going to crash. And we're to tell them there is a hell. There's a hell to pay. I shared with somebody earlier this, this week that was denying the things of the faith. And I just said, look, you don't get into heaven by calling God a liar. You don't say that it's the way that you believe because that's what you believe. 
It's what's written that matters. And this is what Jesus, what God has given us, and this is what God has written, that Jesus is the Christ, that He has come into the world and that He has given His life in exchange for us, that we might be saved. That's the message of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross according to Scripture and that He was buried according to Scripture. And that He rose again on the third day, according to Scripture. Praise God that Christ is risen. Truly He is risen. Good, you're not asleep. <laughs> That's great. This is what communion is all about. It's about remembering who He is. That He has granted us life. And that life is abundant. And it can be an abundant life. It doesn't have to be all, uh, you know, bland and blah. It's pretty exciting, and you'll attest to this, coming up to a strange person and saying, hey, do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I guarantee inside, your heart's going, Brrr. you're freaking out. That's exciting. That's abundant life. Like, how's this person going to respond? And when they respond negatively, that's abundant life. When you're rejected by that person, that's abundant life. How much more so when they say, no, I've never thought of that. Please tell me. Then you're even more scared. Now you feel the weight of it. Now you feel the weight of it, of, of going to this person and responding to them in a, in a way that you pray and you hope that they might come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's an awesome thing. It's an amazing thing. It's an abundant life. It's an adventure. That's when adventure really begins. When we know Christ, His light shines within us. I like to say we're cracked pots and He doesn't totally fix us because His light shines through those cracks and it draws people, certain people, not all people. The gospel is that which in many senses pushes people away. I know. I used to be one of them. I did. I used to be one of them who pushed away anybody that wanted to share the gospel. No, not interested. Just let me be about my business. Back then, I didn't say it. I didn't really even think it. Or maybe I did. And I'm just confused. I've got too much life to enjoy. Little did I know. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what communion is about. It's remembering what He has done. It's remembering that the price is paid. It's remembering that salvation is of God and no one else. It's solo gratia. It's alone. It's by grace alone. And grace is that which God grants. It's something that you can't earn. It's something that you can't expect. It's something that you can't demand. It is totally by His grace. It's simply, and grace is really, all, all that grace is, is you find favor in the eyes of God. Not because of you, but because of Him. He looks at you favorably because of the kind intention of His will, because of the goodness of who He is. He doesn't have to save anyone. He doesn't have to grant eternal life to anyone. I love that John, in John chapter 20, writes, this is why I've written this book, y'all. He says, I've written this so that when you read this, so that you may, or maybe not, so that you can kind of sort of believe that you have eternal life. It's not what he says. He says, I've written this so that you may know not that, not that so you may feel, so that you might experience, although you will if you trust Him. He says, I have written this so that you may know, you may gnosko, you may know without a doubt that you have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Do you want eternal life? There's only eternal life and there's eternal death. There's only the two options. One is spent in the lake of fire for all eternity. That's hell. 
And that's due, the due penalty for our sin. That's what is due us. That's what we've earned. That's what we've worked towards on our own. Because God is so holy and perfect and righteous and, and perfect in so many ways that we can't even understand. We can't even begin to fathom how perfect He is. He's so perfect that one simple little white lie will land us in hell. That's how perfect He is. And for those who might be going, you can't be serious. Yes, I'm very serious. That's how holy that He is, so perfect He is, that He cannot stomach that. How do we know? Look to the gruesome cross. Look to the terrible cross. Look to the horrific cross. What kind of God would send His Son into the world to be treated like that in order that sin might be dealt with once for all? Only the God who is revealed to us in holy writ. Only that God. He is the only one through which we can know salvation and we can have salvation. And we can have it. And I don't know about y'all. This is my weird mindset. My salvation belongs to God and I'm going to keep it in His hands. It's safe there. I don't want it in my hands. Thank you very much. I know me too well. And I'm so thankful that the Word tells us that Jesus, from His own mouth, says, the Father has you in His hand. And He says, I have you in my hand. And no one can take you out. There's no tapping out, y'all. We will move forward. No matter what the world throws at us, no matter what it um, says about us, no matter how much uh, disdain and how much hatred and how much vitriol that they uh, point at us and they unload on us and unleash on us. There's no tapping out. We just go forward. The church militant, the church triumphant. The gates of hell will not prevail against His church because we're marching forward. We're pushing it back. We are doing that as the members of His body. That's what we're experiencing. That's what we should be doing. That's where our mindset should be. God is the great emancipator. Christ is the one who emancipates and sets free. The question is, are you free indeed? Do you believe that? Do you want to be free? Then be free. The price has been paid. The cross is historical. The cross we can look to. We can see it in the pages of history. We can see this person, Jesus of Nazareth, who came and the early believers indeed did believe that He was God incarnate. How do we know? Just read your New Testament. <laughs> and if that's not good enough, read the Old Testament. It's there. It's there. And if you don't believe me, go to God in faith and ask Him to show you. Ask Him to reveal it to you. Because one thing that I know is He hears. He hears. He hears the prayer of faith. He hears and sees the one who acts out in faith. The one who waits in silence. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for those who wait. I hadn't planned this, but I want to read out of Lamentations. Lamentations 3. With all the discord, all the stuff that Jeremiah had seen, and all the judgment, and all the, the, just the horrific judgment of God against his own people. And he's lamenting. He's crying out. He says in... in uh, Chapter 3 of Lamentations. Listen to these words. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way with God? I have. I have. 
Just recently, I was like, God, it's like the heavens are bronze. I'm crying out to you, and it's like you're not listening, you're not hearing, you're shutting me out, and I don't know what's going on. And I just want to hear from you, that's all. Give me a glimmer of hope, please. Please. I can identify with what Jeremiah was doing here. I can hear and feel it. He says, I, He has driven me and made me walk in the darkness and not in light. Surely against me He has turned my, His hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places He made me dwell like those who have not long been dead or who have long been dead. He has weighed... He has, Walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is, he is uh, to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent His bow and sent me as a target for the arrow. I'm the target of his affliction. He says, He made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. It's hitting me deep where I live. Deep within my soul. I feel this, he says. I have become a laughingstock to all my people. Their mocking song all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made my meat cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. But he doesn't just stop there. And this is what I love about Christ. This is what I love about our God. In the midst of affliction, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of misery, in the midst of sickness, in the mixed midst of hopelessness, you see, you can know that God is still there. Listen to what he says. He continues, he says in verse 19, Remember my affliction, my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers. And is bowed down within me. That's humility. That's contrite. That's contrition. Then he says this. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. After all that he just said. He's saying this is why now I have hope. Therefore I have hope. Why? Verse 22, the Lord's loving kindnesses, his chesed's, indeed never cease, even in the midst of affliction. For his compassions never fail, even in my pain, even in my misery, even in my darkness, even in my fear. I know that he is kind. I know that his compassions never fail. I know that his love is never ending. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it upon him. And let him put his mouth into dust. Sounds a lot like Job, doesn't it? <laughs> he would identify. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it upon him. Let him put his mouth into dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. For Yahweh, for Adonai, will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, 
Then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. It's a wonderful thing to know God in such an intimate way. That even in the midst of all that suffering, there is yet hope. Even when it feels like there's no hope. Even when it feels like there's no tomorrow. Yet, within ourselves, that's what being free indeed is about. That's what being free is about. Knowing that there's all those things that may and may not come against us, but that He will have compassion. He will not be silent forever. He will move in an awesome and amazing way. He will hear and move in accordance with His kind intention and His goodwill. And He will have compassion yet. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. That's what the great emancipator does. Sometimes he waits. Sometimes he's still. Sometimes he's silent. And it feels like that. It feels like you're battling against a steel wall. And yet, in the midst of it, you can praise him. You can exalt him. You can lift him up. You can remember that price was paid on the cross that I may know God in that way. And maybe we can think about that. I want to know God like that. I don't want to know the misery. I don't want to know all that suffering. But if I do, I want to know God that way. And I've shared with with you guys when my mom had her heart attack there in, in, in Phoenix and she was left for a week and a half by herself. We couldn't stay there. She had family there that lived there. But it wasn't the same as having her own children there. And we couldn't travel back and forth. We're not rich folk. We don't have all the money in the world. And she said, for the first time, mijo, I had no choice. And the only one that I could turn to, the only one that I knew it would be there with me and for me, was Jesus. Or as she used to say, my Jesus my Jesus. In the midst of her fear, in the midst of who knows what's going to happen, and I've shared with you guys that story. I won't um, engage in it again, but that's what we want to know. That's what we, that's the application. Let's hope and set our minds on the things above. Those things are going to come. The world is going to unravel. The death cult is going to continue. The threats are going to continue. All these things are going to happen. But if we know God like these guys, and if we desire to do that, we can remember Him, trust in Him. And we can be lifted up. He's the lifter of our heads. I love what Peter says. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. He cares for you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it. Sometimes it seems like he's forgotten us. But he knows everything, and he knows everyone. He knows the number of stars, and he knows them by name. (laughs) Hallelujah. That blows my mind still to this day. And even in the midst of all these things, we can look, we can see the glory of our God everywhere. He is the great emancipator. Do you know him? Does he know you? That's the ultimate question. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me even though he die, yet shall he live. Sounds like a contradiction. There goes that Jesus again talking nonsense, but he's not. He says, if you believe in me, even if you die, you're going to live. And you think you got life abundant now? Man. I want to share with you one last story about this great emancipator. I heard it yesterday. Kind of a heartbreaking story. There's... Um, Ministries of men, former military men that are working behind the scenes, doing things that you and I couldn't think or imagine, going to places, endangering themselves, laying down their lives to rescue children, women, young men. And they're doing it because of their love for Christ. Christ has set them free and he's given them a bravery and a sense of manhood that is godly. And I want to, there's a, um, it's called Lantern, Lantern, uh, um, Lantern Ministries, I think it is. Lantern Rescue, Lantern Rescue. 
is the name of the ministry. And it's a group of guys that just go around and save people from these awful traffickers. And one young woman who was saved, by the way. And her story is pretty horrific. And what she went through. And it all began at the age of four when her own father and her own mother used her, sold her, groomed her. And it wasn't until the age of 15 when God somehow, some way moved in her life to be able to finally tell someone what was going on. The only reason I share this with you is because of her incredible testimony that I heard. You can imagine the abominable things. That is the sinfulness of man. Her own flesh and blood. Her own parents. And yet, today, 20-some-year-old young woman, she still struggles with certain things, and that's, yeah, for the rest of her life, she's going to have to struggle with these things. But she praises God. Because somebody shared with her, there is a God. And he's not like your natural dad. He's the great emancipator. He can set you free. He doesn't care about what you've been done to you. He doesn't care that you're wounded. And I would love to just meet her and just tell her, I want to share with you, you're not damaged. You're just wounded. Just like the rest of us. You're not damaged, you're just wounded. And God can heal you, and he will. And it gave me so much hope. This young woman named Haley, she, she just learned. She said in the pages, that's, I was reading it for the first time, and all of a sudden it was like, my eyes were open and my heart was open and I could believe that somebody could love me. That's the great emancipator. And she now is sharing her story with other young women and men who've been through the same atrocities. That's the great emancipator. You see, he's going to use that pain. God doesn't waste anything. Every pain that you've suffered... He'll use every struggle that you've struggled with psychologically, physically, mentally. He can use. He can use for someone's good. If you're willing to trust him like this, Miss Haley has come to know and trust him. I mean, imagine from it took four years. They took this guy to court. Four years before they convicted him. And she had to share in an open court over and over and over the details. And she's come out strong. She's come out with hope. She's come out with the gospel. Because the gospel set her free. And she doesn't have to focus on all the negative things because she's been set free by the great emancipator. This is a real person. This is a real person who just told her story and just openly tells it to help other people so that God may use her to set other people free. A cracked pot that has light shining through and that light is so bright, people are drawn to it. She had another young lady that was there and saying how this was beginning to heal her. This is the great emancipator working within us. There's misery. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is the great emancipator. He sets us free to do what we can't do, to live like we can't live, to be who we were, never thought we'd be. He changes us. And he gives us life abundant. This is why we do communion. Because great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Let's pray.
Father, how we thank you. Oh, Lord, how we thank you for your love that you shower upon us in ways that we can't even begin to understand. I pray, Lord, that you would open us up to understand some of it, to drink it in, to feast on it. Thank you for being the God who has revealed himself within the pages of Holy Writ so that we may know you as you intend us to know you. Thank you that you have sent your Son and that he came and that he fulfilled the law and that he lived perfectly and that he died on the cross to display your love and your hate. Love for your people, the hatred of sin and the hatred of the penalty of sin. It was paid there at the cross and we believe that. We proclaim it. We thank you, Lord, You alone are the God who saves. And you sent your Son, and He did die on that cross. And He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. And I pray for those, Lord, who may be listening out there in the wide world web, that they may come and trust you, that they may know freedom, that they may know life abundant, that they may be set free, that they may know redemption and emancipation, and that they may give you all the glory. You are the one who's in focus. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you, for you are good. We praise you that you are the great emancipator, and you set free whom you will. Thank you, Lord, for healing us. Help us, Lord. Fill us to go out to expand your kingdom for your name's sake and for your glory's sake. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.